morning, everybody. It's so nice to see you. That was beautiful this morning, wasn't it, in the presence. Thank you, worship team. Did an awesome job this morning. Um, oh, yes, okay. So um, this morning, I just want to do something that I think is going to seal um, what God has been saying to us for the last three weeks. God has had an agenda with us in the messages that we've heard over the last three weeks. They've been incredible. Um, and if you haven't heard them yet, you haven't man- managed to get online and do that if you've been away, I would really recommend you go back over the last three weeks and, and listen to what God's been saying. And I believe that what we're going to do today as we go through this, this message is God's going to seal and put something like, like you, know, like, you know, in the old days they had these kind of like a seal where they would melt wax and that would, it's, it's like God's going to just kind of come and do something to seal what he's been saying to them over the last three weeks. So three weeks ago, Steve did an incredible job um, Steve Smith talking about being ready for Jesus' return. And he talked in part of his message about the five wise virgins, about them having their oil and their lamps filled, and about the idea that we as, as Christians need to be true disciples, being servant-hearted, being obedient, following Jesus and listening to him. That was three weeks ago. Then the, the second time, or well, the week after that, was Dan. And Dan shared about the trials of life, did an incredible job in his message. It was so good. Um, and he said that we shouldn't be surprised that there are trials, that Jesus told us that you'll have trouble in this world. Um, and you've only got to switch the news on, haven't you, every single day, and you can see that the world is full of trouble. Um, what Jesus said is true. But Jesus taught us that we can have hope and that we can overcome the world, that we're not to fear it, we're not to be worried about it, because he has overcome the world. And we've been singing about victory this morning, despite the trouble and the battles that we face. And then last week, Pastor Paul spoke about how to have a healthy relationship with Jesus. Um, And I believe what God's going to do this morning is seal those three things together and teach us something that is probably the most important part of being a Christian and being a disciple. And if we can get hold of this and do it, it will completely transform our lives. I'm going to seal those three. So if we put up slide one, you'll see what we're going to talk today about. It's called learning the yoke of Jesus. And what is a yoke? If you're not sure what a yoke is, it's um, a biblical term, but also a medieval term for this kind of wooden brace that you put over oxen's neck. When, you put, when they used to farm, they would put two oxen together, and they would put an experienced oxen with a baby oxen and this massive heavy oak brace around their necks. And the idea was that the experienced oxen would then train, because when you're locked in, you literally can't, <laughs> you can't move. Um, this, this experienced oxen would train the baby oxen how to plow, how to move forward and pull a plow. Clever thing, but it's incredibly heavy, and it's an, a real, you know, big, thick oak thing that goes around your neck. And there's two types of yokes that we can experience. One is what we might describe as the yoke of the world, like a heavy burden that falls on us because of situations and battles we're facing and trials. But there's something else, which is the yoke of Jesus. It's this idea of being locked into him and being with him, but his yoke, the Bible says, is not heavy. It's very different to what the world um, puts on us. So we're going to kind of base today around Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, which is going to come up on the screen. Very famous uh, scripture that you may know really, really well, but I want to break it down today. It says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke, sorry, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus refers to a yoke twice there in contrast to a burden. But I wonder how many of us really understand what Jesus means by taking his yoke. Hands up. 
Just, okay, excellent. So this is perfect for you this morning because no one put their hand up. Okay, so I'm assuming that you've not ever particularly understood what yoke, that yoke phrase means. It's a bit of an odd one, isn't it? Um, and I want to break that down today and have a look at that. So if we go to the first line, come to me, all of you who labor and heavy laden. Well, that probably describes the experience of most of us. There isn't many times during a week or a month where we probably don't feel some sort of burden or difficulty or struggle. Um, Dan talked about life being a trial, having trials, and it's true, isn't it, that there's, you know, Jesus is basically talking to every single believer here. All you who labor and heavy laden, hands up, yes, that is me at some point. <laughs> That's how I feel about situations. And I think particularly in the world that we're in now at the moment and with the stuff that's going on, I think mentally um, burdened, it's become a huge issue. That it's actually the weighting of it is often in our minds. I think we're physically toiling. It's just like doing hard work, absolutely. But I think there's, been a, there's a huge pressure coming on people mentally. Um, and Steve brought that up actually in his message. He talked about how depression and mental illness has increased massively. And I think in terms of a, a heavy laden, I think it's often in our mind. It's where it can be really difficult. So Jesus is talking to every believer here. At some point, either now, you may be experiencing a burden or difficulty, or you will. <laughs> um, he is talking to every believer. That if you are labored and heavy laden, if you are struggling and trialing and battling, his promise is that he wants to give you rest. Now, he doesn't actually say, I'm going to lift it off you. He says here that I want to give you rest in it. And that's a whole different thing. Now, Jesus does lift stuff off of us. We've been singing this morning about victory and how the battle belongs to him. And he is a God of victory. That's what he came for. So he does lift stuff off us. But sometimes we have to be or have to learn how to find rest in a trial. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. So I want to go back to the very first two words of Matthew 11, verse 28. And it's, this is kind of the key. Um, and it says there, come, first of all. Now, the root word of that, when you look that up, is to turn away, come away, and be separate. So when Jesus says, come to me, he's actually saying, I want you to literally turn away from everything else and come and be with me, just you and me. The word to means towards Jesus, to look at him, to be in close proximity and to interface with him. So just those first two words, when Jesus said, if you want to find rest, you need to come to me, he is actually saying the only way of experiencing rest is you have to come out and literally be on your own with me. And we need to lock in face to face, it needs to be proximity, me and you, really close, and you need to turn and look at me. It's the only way. He didn't say you'll find rest in your busyness. I'll give you rest as you're in your worship music, as you're listening to that. He says, I'll give you rest when you come to me. So if you imagine you're over here, and Jesus is standing over here, he's literally saying, you need to make an effort to turn to me. He doesn't say, I'm going to come to you in your trial and burden. He doesn't say that. He says, you need to come to me. So you literally have to turn Put stuff down and make an effort to face him and be with him on your own. And that is what many Christians never do. Now, I'm not, I'm not judging anybody here because this is me too. But I think many Christians never actually experience the depth of intimacy with Jesus where they actually turn and do face to face with him. What we often say, and this is all good stuff, what we often say is, you know, Jesus is, is in me all the time. He's with me wherever I go. Well, that's true. 
So we will, you know, in the business of our day, we say, well, I'm, I'm with Jesus anyway when I'm doing the washing up, when I'm going to work, he's with me. And that's all true. And we'll put worship music on or we'll listen to podcasts and we'll do all of that kind of stuff. All brilliant. But there's something deeper in Jesus, which is to come away from everything. No music, no phone, nothing but you and him locked in. And he says, that's when you'll experience rest in your burden because you're interlocked and you're facing me and we're talking. And there's something different than listening. And I do it all the time. I've got music on in the car. I've got podcasts on. I'm, I'm, I'm one that does all that. But if we never get to the level where we can shut that stuff off and we can interlock with him and come away and be separate from the noise, we're never going to know a depth of intimacy that will bring freedom and rest. Because he said, you have to come to me and look at me and be separate. It's a whole different, whole different thing. So all those other things that we do when we're busy and we're washing up and we're driving, all awesome. It's much better to be doing that than listening to something rubbish, <laughs> isn't it? But actually, my question is, is your experience of Jesus only when, there are noise, when there's, there's noise and people around? Is your experience of Jesus only when you come to church, when you've got worship music on, when you've got the YouTube playing a worship videos, when you've got a podcast on, when there's people buzzing around you? Is that the only time you experience him? Because what he's saying here is you need to come out of life and separate yourself. Amen? Let's go to Psalm 46.10. It says, be still and know that I am God. So how do you be still? You have to switch off every distraction, everything that's a noise. And you have to just be. It's so difficult sometimes to just be you and him. I think we find it really difficult because our world is so noisy. And we've got too many gadgets and too many things in our face. The idea of just sitting in a room with you and him and no phone, just you and your Bible. I wonder how many of us think that's just, I can't do that. That's just, that would freak me out. That's too hard. I'd get bored in two seconds. My mind would wander. Do you know what? All of those things are true. But you learn, you're a disciple, you learn to train yourself to do it. And the first few times you do it, your mind is thinking about, you know, what's for tea tonight? And you're off and you, you want to give up in two seconds. I promise if you practice being in his presence on your own with nothing but your Bible and just sitting with him, it is incredible what he does and what happens. Now, if you're an extrovert, we've got a bunch of those people in the room, you hate this stuff <laughs> because extroverts get um, fed and they get a buzz from people and noise. If your character is an extrovert, it's actually very difficult to be still on your own with Jesus, I think, because you get your fill from people. You love a house full of people. You want noise. You want people chatting. You want music on. But actually, let me give you a little tip. If you are on your own with Jesus, you've got a party. You've got the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and some angels popping in there as well. So you don't worry about that being on your own. But this is not a problem for me because I'm not an extrovert. Okay. Um, I am incredibly not, and I love being on my own, and I love it being quiet, but I know if people are extroverts, they find this stuff very difficult, but it's something we need to practice. Now, let's, just give, let's have a look at how Jesus kind of described this, what we do with this. So if we go to um, Matthew 6, 6, it says, this is Jesus' words, when you pray, go away, so come away, by yourself, <laughs> shut the door behind you, 
and pray to your father in private. Nobody else around. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. So even here, Jesus is talking about the idea of coming away. And some, some versions talk about a closet. Jesus uses the word closet. Go into your closet and shut the door. Go into your closet and pray. And I think closet is a quite an interesting word that Jesus uses there. Now, obviously, we don't often have closets like America, where you walk in and they're like the size of my house. Um, I don't even have a closet. I have a wardrobe. And if I try to get in there, it would break. So I'm not going to... That would be comedy. Um, but some of you may have a little walk-in room. That's quite awesome if you do. But if you think about an average English closet, it is tiny. There is no room apart from you and some clothes. Maybe if you sit on the floor. But I think closet's quite an interesting word that Jesus uses here because it means that there's literally no distractions. There's some clothes to look at maybe, but there's only room for one. There's only room for you in a closet. There's nobody else there. There's nothing to distract you. There's no noise. There's nothing to look at. It's a bit boring. Some clothes maybe. Um, But a closet, what else are you going to do in there? And I just think that's a brilliant way that Jesus is trying to get across to us what it looks like to come away. Imagine if you were sat in a closet, there'd be nothing else to do but to talk to Jesus. It's a small space. It's only for you. You can shut out the world. You can shut out noise. He doesn't say kitchen or living room. And if you think about a kitchen or a living room, they're noisy. There's people coming to and from. There's things to look at. There's things to do. It would distract you. He doesn't use those words. He uses a closet, the idea of being completely quiet by yourself on your own as I said earlier extroverts find that hard because they recharge around people if you're an introvert you might find that idea lovely and think I can do that that's amazing but extroverts need to (laughs) carve out a place where they and space to learn how to be with him on their own but if you picture an idea of a closet he's really clearly saying what it looks like to come to me is where there's nothing to distract you and there's only room for me and you So if we're going to go to um, Song of Solomon, um, 2 verses 13 and 14, and in my Bible it's headed the bridegroom. So this is Jesus talking to his church, and we're his bride. And this is absolutely beautiful scripture. And again, it's the idea about coming away and coming to be with him and what that looks like. What does that actually look like? What would you do in that time with Jesus? How would it work? Um, so he says, arise, come, my darling, my beautiful one, come with me. There it is again. So get up. And how awesome is it Jesus calls his bride, calls you and me, his darling, his beautiful one. That's how he sees us. That's how he sees his church. Come with me. So again, it's an action of us getting up and moving towards him, not him chasing us. And it says, my dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places on the mountainside, show me your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. So here, Jesus refers to the bride, us, as a dove. So I did some research, because I'm good at that kind of stuff. Did some research about doves and clefts of rock. He's a cutie, isn't he? Look at him. Oh, he's a sweetie. Now, this picture was actually taken high up a mountainside. You can't tell that from the picture. But it is very, 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 very high up. So, why does Jesus refer to you and me, his church, as his bride, as a dove? So, Jesus, as you know, longs to be with his bride. He absolutely loves you, adores you. And the one thing he wants to do is spend time with you and, you and him on your, on your own. Absolutely longs for that. And doves are described as beautiful, innocent, and harmless creatures. 
So when he uses the word dove, that's how he describes you, that you are beautiful, innocent, and harmless. That's how he sees the church. Doves have clean bodies and they have clean nests, which represents the idea that the church is to be pure and not dirtied by the world. They come out and be separate. We're called out ones. We are in the world, but we're not of it. We are supposed to be different. Um, and Jesus sees us as pure. That's what he died for. The exchange that takes place when you become born again is that he takes away your old nature and gives you a new nature. He sees you as a pure bride, sees me as a pure bride. Amen? So they're not dirtied by the world, they're separate, and they are harmless and timid creatures. In other words, that reflects the nature of, of, of Christ. He is gentle and humble. And doves do this all the time. So remember, this picture would be really, really high up. Um, they hide in the clefts of rocks. And there's only room for one dove in there. There's nobody else popping in for a coffee. That dove is on his own <laughs> and tucked in that shelter. And Jesus used this reference, the cleft of the rocks, to talk about a secret place. You have to go up a narrow, steep mountainside to get to that. There's only room for one. It's tight. It's, you know, it takes time to get there. It's a very, very high place. But in the cleft of that rock, that dove is hiding from prey. Prey can't find it. And what Jesus is saying is in the cleft of the rock, when you come to that secret place, when it's just me and you, that's where I protect you. That's where you are protected from the devil. That's where God kind of comes in and you find rest and peace. There's safety in the cleft. That bird is in that little rock cleft because prey can't get to it. So something happens when we make a choice to come away with him, to go up higher, to go into a secret place, which is just you and him, and me and him. And he's talking about a high place that is narrow and hard to get to. But not in the hard to get to as in, you know, Jesus isn't going to be there when we spend time with him. It's the fact that this, is, this dove knows that there's safety in the high place, in the mountainside. It's a beautiful image of what we, do as, we should do as Christians. So that's why we go to a high place. And when you're in that secret place, when you're, when you're with him, the, that scripture goes on to say, doesn't it? Show me your face. This is Jesus speaking. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. So what do we do in the secret place? We look at him and we talk to him. It says there that your face is beautiful. In other words, to Jesus, you are perfect, clean. The bride of Christ, there's no shame here. You don't need to look away. You come boldly to him and you spend time with him and you look at his face. He wants to see it. He is proud of you. He's proud of me. He loves you. And he is longing for you to come to him. Um, you're fully accepted and you're fully loved. So there's absolutely boldness in coming to this, this place. And it says here that he wants to hear your voice because your voice to him is sweet and your face is lovely. Jesus wants us to look at him. He wants to look at us. He wants to talk and interact with us. That's what happens in the secret place. But you can't do it when there's distraction. You can't do it when there's noise. You know when you've been to dinner with people and you go to dinner, uh, a bunch of people around the table, and you're trying to talk to them and they're on their phone the whole time? I mean, I've done that. They're on their phone all the whole time. They're not listening. They're distracted. Well, it's a little bit how we are with God. Because, and I know I said a minute ago, all these things are really important. We've got our worship music on. We're busy doing this and that. But actually, we're so distracted sometimes by doing other Christian things, which we think is going to replace our time with him one-to-one, and it won't. 
because it's like being on your phone when you're with friends at dinner and they're trying to talk to you and you're distracted. So you have to get that balance right. You know, when you are busy, when you are busy and you're on your way to work, with, that's put music on, etc. Listen to a, a podcast. But my question is, for me as well, is where in my day does that get shut off and I come to him in the closet? Because the time that we're in at the moment, and I believe these three weeks of messages from God have, have been because of what we're entering and what we're in. He's very, very kind and he sets us up with the tools that we need to do well in life. If, if we don't learn the secret place, we don't, we don't get comfortable with silence and being with him and really knowing who he is. We will struggle to find rest in the turmoil that the world is chucking at us. He won't love us any less. We'll experience grace and mercy. We'll experience measure of favor. But Jesus never said he'll give us rest in the busyness of noise. He said, I'll give you rest when you come away with me. Amen. So let's go back to that scripture, Matthew 11, and break it down. I'm going to go to Amplified Version. So we're going to go on to having this look at this idea of um, learning from Jesus and what that means. So in verse 29, it says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Amplified says, Follow me as my disciple, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. And in brackets, it tells us what that is. Renewal, love this, Blessed, quiet for your soul. Amen. If you don't think you need that at the moment, come and talk to me. Blessed, quiet for your soul. That's what rest is. That your soul is renewed and it gets a quiet. How many of us need in this world right now to be able to experience that on a daily basis? Amen. So take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So in other words, when you spend this time one-to-one with Jesus... The whole purpose is to learn from him, to spend time listening. Let him be your wisdom. Let him guide you. Let him tell you what he wants to tell you. Let him give you advice. Let him just love on you. And what you experience as you begin to learn from him, as a true disciple is, it's a learned one, especially if you're going through as a child, you'll see this exchange take place where you see this incredible renewal of your soul and a refreshing and a quiet come on you, even though you could be facing the most horrendous thing. It is weird um, how it happens, but it's only in God that it can happen. But there's an ability to walk through something with a rest and an assurance and a refreshing, even though on paper it sounds horrific. Because when you spend time with him and you come away with him, that is what he exchanges. He gives you his gentle and lowly heart in return for the stress. His yoke is not a burden. The world is burdening us and there's stuff coming on us all the time and life is, can be a burden, a toil. But he promises that he, he will exchange that for rest and that when you spend time with him and learn from him, there's a refreshing and a renewal and a blessed quiet that comes off the back of that. Amen? So the key thing there is when you're spending time with him is to have that listening heart. I said he wants to hear your voice and see your face. He does. But he also wants you to listen, to be a learned one. And the most important thing that we can do in our one-to-one with Jesus in that closet is to have a heart that says, God, teach me. And a willingness to surrender and a willingness to be um, humble and a willingness to learn. Because if we don't learn from Jesus, we won't navigate life well. 
we have to be, it's, it's okay going into the closet, but if we come out with a stubborn heart doing what we want to do, etc., then we <laughs> haven't actually changed. So the key thing in that closet is to learn humility and to listen as well as to talk. Um, let's finish off by having a look at what this word yoke means in terms of his yoke. That's what we're kind of going for. So in the Amplified Classic, it says, this is Jesus again, for my yoke is wholesome. It's useful and good. My yoke, Jesus said, is not harsh, hard, sharp, or pressing. But Jesus' yoke, this is beautiful, is comfortable, gracious, and pleasant. And his burden is light and easy to be borne. Well, that's the way you want to live live life. In his presence, having the presence of God fall on you in this gracious and pleasant, comfortable, blessed renewal where he takes this burden, the heaviness of the world, and he puts his on you. And you walk away from those one-to-one encounters with Jesus, refreshed and renewed because he is pouring his grace on you. But again, he only says that if you come to me. And it means in the original language to be completely separate, to be one-to-one. That's what it is. It's a one-to-one interaction. Um, it's not a group thing. When he's describing this, this, this way of finding this rest, it's literally you and him. So I just wanted to finish with a true story. As a historian, a bit of history here. We're going right back to 1828, people. Now, obviously, I wasn't born... So I had to Google this. I had to Google it. I know some of you in the room here probably were born and know this story personally. Uh, but um, not me. <laughs> so I wanted to give you um, an example of how an incredible family had to learn this, had to learn how to um, navigate an incredible trauma, but come to Jesus and experience complete blessed renewal and peace in that trauma through their relationship with him so if we go to the next slide this is you might know the story some of you in the room Horatio Spafford he was born in New York on the 20th of October 1828 but moved to Chicago where he made his fortune he was a Christian he and his wife Anna were active in their church in Chicago and their home was always open to visitors They counted the famous evangelist Dwight L. Moody as their close friend. They had four children and were considerably wealthy. Horatio was a lawyer, plus he owned a lot of property in Chicago. They were very, very well off. In October of 1871, a massive fire swept through Chicago, and it devastated the city. All of his properties were burnt to the ground, and he lost his law firm. They literally went broke overnight. Two years later, in 1873, Spafford decided to take his family on a holiday to England. Um, Evangelist D.L. Moody was going to be preaching here in the autumn of that year. So he decided to come here with him, um, support him in that ministry. But Horatio was delayed by business and wasn't able to be with his wife and daughter. So he sent them ahead on a steamship. You can see a photograph there of his daughter. So in 1873... His wife, Anna, and his four girls, you've got Anna, who was 11, Margaret, who's nine, Elizabeth is five, and Tanetta is two. They went off on this steamship to England, and he was going to follow when the business was sorted out. On the 22nd of November, 1873, while crossing the Atlantic, 
their steamship was struck by an iron sailing ship. All four of Horatio Spafford's daughters perished in the sea. But amazingly, Anna survived the tragedy. Upon arrival in England, Anna sent this telegram to Horatio. And it included the words, saved alone. So she was the only one left. Receiving Anna's message, he went off at once to reunite with his wife in England, bought a ticket to cross the Atlantic. One day on the journey, the captain came to him, or summoned him, I should say, sorry, to the bridge. And he said, look, I've just been looking at the charts and we're about to cross the place where your girls drowned, the spot at which the ship went down. Uh, where, you know, so where his daughters perished. And so Horatio returned to his cabin below deck. And whilst he was in the cabin, spending time with Jesus and crying and just so confused and sad, he wrote the famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And in the first line it says, When peace like a river attends, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, you can put the next one up, please. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And he wrote that in his cabin as the ship crossed over where his girls had died. He later wrote to Anna's half sister, on Thursday last, we passed the spot where that ship went down in mid-ocean. The waters are three miles deep. But I do not think of my dear ones there. They are safe. They are, they are dear lambs. They are with Jesus. And I wonder what happened as he decided to go down in his cabin with nobody else around. In this incredible grief and confusion and this incredible trauma that his family had just experienced. Remember, he'd also lost his firm, his money, his, everything had gone. And now the four girls. I wonder what took place as he sat with Jesus and that he was able to write that it is well with my soul. That is what happens when you come face to face with this gracious, beautiful Jesus and you just look at him and you give him all the grief, you give him all the battle, you give him every trial, you give him everything that you're dealing with and you just let him put rest on you. I can't, I'm not saying that he didn't continue with obviously grieving for those girls the rest of his life, but there must have been an exchange that took place that he could write those words, it is well with my soul, when he was crossing the point where his four girls drowned. Following that tragedy, Anna went on to give birth to three more children, but she and Horatio were not spared even more sadness. On the 11th of February, 1880, their son, Horatio, died at the age of four. In August 1881, the Spaffords left America and with a number of like-minded Christians went to Jerusalem. There they served the needy, helped the poor and cared for the sick. They took in homeless children. Their desire was to show those loving about them the love of Jesus. And then the next slide up, he went on to write this. This is amazing. Horatio said, I am glad to be able to trust my Lord when it costs me something. What a brave brave man. How do you get up and continue to serve Jesus when you don't understand why your four girls have died and why you lost your business? Because you know him. Because you do the one-to-one with Jesus. Because you are so locked in on him that you are able to write stuff like that. Because he brings you through the valley and you know who Jesus is. 
So, it is well with my soul. Wow. The comfort that he must have experienced in his one-to-ones with Jesus. I've been, I was trying to find more writings of him, but obviously it's a long time ago. So, I'm kind of speculating a little bit, but this is not usual. This is not a usual reaction, is it, from people when they're facing trial. There's got to be something that happened to him and his family when he locked himself in to get get up and continue to serve Jesus and give everything to him and continue to keep even just getting up each day, let alone actually going to Jerusalem and serving God faithfully. There's something that happens in the one-to-one when you go in the closet. And I believe he knew what that was. So finding rest, going through a trial, um, experiencing comfort and rest through joy, through grief and sadness. There's three things I just want to finish with. So step one is we have to come to be separate and do the one-to-one. We take his yoke, so we give over the burden of the world and we allow Jesus' yoke to fall on us, his grace and compassion and mercy. And the third key thing is to learn from him. If we don't learn from Jesus, we don't change, we don't grow, we don't really find breakthrough. There is a depth in Christianity that sometimes we never get to because we don't do the one-to-one with him. And then listen, allow him to take the burden and learn from him. And that that is really what I want us to kind of finish with today. Um, The wise virgins that Steve talked about in his message had their lamps filled and they were waiting for the bridegroom. In other words, they knew his voice. They knew when he arrived, they were ready. Why? Because they were locked in. You have to be locked in one-to-one with Jesus if you're ever going to see breakthrough, if you're ever really going to be a disciple, if you're ever really going to find freedom and peace and be able to walk through life well. It has to be more than just the noise of the christian stuff that we do. I'm saying that in a nice way because all that stuff's amazing, but there's something deeper in Jesus, away from the distraction. Um, so my questions are, for you all and for me, is what can we strip back? What What could we take back from our lives to to give us that time, that one-to-one every single day? Where is your closet? Where could you go? For me, I often get up first in our household. So when I go downstairs, there's nobody else, and that's brilliant. Um, We've also got a summer house that's not finished, and I'm hoping one day it will be because I'll go in there. Hint, hint. Uh, With little twinkly lights and cushions and stuff. I can't wait. And that that means I can get out of the house and literally go and sit in it. But often if it's it's noisy downstairs, for me, it's just go to the bedroom and shut the door. I actually have to physically find a space. And for me, getting up early means that often I can do that while everybody's still asleep. So you have to carve that place out. So where can you make time for him? Where can your closet be? What can you strip back? How can you walk in deep intimacy? Jesus is desperately longing to see your face and hear your voice. He is desperately, the bridegroom is longing for the bride to come up the mountainside and to hide in the cleft of the rock and just interact, lock in with him. It is the most incredible thing to do. Um, And I think many of us just need to start thinking about actually the season we're going into next and the world that we're in, we need to know Jesus at that level. Amen? So I just want to, just for the last five minutes, um, I want to play it as well, but a modern version of it, because I just really feel that obviously this morning as, as we were going through the service and God was kind of speaking to us about breakthrough and battles and that he, to trust in and lean on him, this song was written from a point of really hopelessness and devastation, but there was hope in the song that it's going to be all right and I'm going to lock into Jesus and it's going to be okay. 
And I just think that for many of us in the room, including me, that there's, there's an opportunity here just to, just to fix our eyes on Jesus, just to come in and lock in with him this morning and just find that rest again for him to minister to you, to minister to me, that as we just kind of declare it is well with my soul, that we're putting our trust, we're locking our eyes on him and saying, God, whatever I'm facing right now, Jesus, I believe you, that you're the one that's going to bring me through. So if we can just stand together, this is the Christina Marco version, which is beautiful. Um, It's based on the hymn, but it's a modern version of it. But I just think it'd be really good just just to fix our eyes on Jesus, um, to declare that it's well, that God's got us, um, so you can get it nice and loud for me, guys. Thank you. Um, and let's just we'll pray together at the end. Amen.